No, IMB stands for International Mission Board, and the generosity the video refers to is your generosity to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, which churches across our nation, Southern Baptist churches, are receiving at this time of year. 45,000 of our churches seeking to raise over $150 million to keep more than 5,000 missionaries on the field in all kinds of places so that the gospel can go forth. Why do we promote this? Why do we pray for it? Why do we encourage you to give uh, even as never before? Uh, because God is at work today. He's at work today. He's at work in many parts of the world. And we could, we could take a Sunday, maybe we'll do that sometime, and just talk about all the different parts of the world where God is at work and what is happening, what he's doing, how he's bringing people to faith in him. And we need to remember that our call, God's call on us, as members of Ridgecrest Baptist Church, yes, but even more as members of the body of Christ. God's call to us is to get involved in missions in three ways. All of us, three ways. One is to pray. Please pray. Oh God, would you send people out to the harvest fields around the globe and around the corner so that people may hear the wonderful good news of Jesus Christ. Somebody has got to be telling Al's grandson about Jesus in the days to come. So, so you know, Al will be driving down. Charlotte has been renamed. I don't know if Charlotte has been renamed or not. You may have heard this before, but, uh, you know, Al's grandson, his name is Knox. And so now Charlotte is referred to as Knoxville, at least in the Huffman, <laughs> in the Huffman home. So, so, you know, somebody has got to tell Knox uh, about Jesus. Somebody has got to reach the person that you work with and that lives in your neighborhood. Somebody has got to go around the world and tell the people about Jesus. Why? Because God is at work and he calls us to pray that God would send out missionaries. So we pray. Secondly, we're all called to give. We're all called to give. Give of ourselves, our time, give of our talents, yes, but also give of our treasure. That's where the Lottie Moon Christmas offering comes in. As you give, every single dollar goes to our International Mission Board to send these missionaries out. Missionaries who don't have to spend half of their time, six months a year, trying to raise support from individual churches. It gives and it doubles the time they're able to spend on the field. When you give, it provides an opportunity to send out more missionaries than any other mission-sending agency in the history of the world. When you give, it allows us to reach places that have never been reached with the gospel. We're fulfilling the Great Commission. Study after study has shown this, that our International Mission Board is the most efficient use of dollars to put missionaries on the field than any other agency in the world. Ridgecrest keeps zero of the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. It goes directly to support our missionaries. So your support is crucial. Pray and give. And here's the scary one here. What if God, what if God said to you, I want you to go. I want you to go to the hard places. I want you to go to a Muslim country and share the gospel of Jesus. I want you to go to, uh, to, to the mountainous region where people live all up in the hollers and, and they're hard to get to and hard to, to, they, they're hard to trust people. I want you to go there. What if God said, I want you to go to the, to the waitress that always waits on you down at the diner? What if God said, I want you to go to the family down the street that's putting up that shell? What if God said, I want you to go to that person that is just so derogatory about the things of God in the church and I want you to be the one, if God would say, I want you to be the one to pray, to give, and ultimately to go. Why? Because God is at work in our 
today. Do you believe that today? God is at work in our day. In Acts chapter 5, which is where we're at in our study of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 5, we're going to see today that as the disciples lived, like our, our, our series message is, series title, Life on Mission. As the disciples in the New Testament church lived out a life on mission in the early church, it continued to strengthen and to grow even in the face of opposition. Acts and history tell us this. The church has always faced opposition. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ has always faced opposition. Don't be surprised when we face opposition. And the church of Jesus Christ has always, always grown when the people of faith have been willing to take God at His word, to pray, to give, and to go, and take the message out to the world. The gospel has always borne fruit. Why? Because it's not a us thing. It's a God thing. And He's promised to meet our needs as we go. He's promised to meet our needs as we share. He's promised to give us protection and direction. He's promised to, to glorify His name, and He does that through us. Let's stand together this morning if we can. We're in Acts chapter 5. You may want to turn there in your Bibles as we uh, continue on with the message. But, uh, but I want to make sure uh, today that, that we're on pace with the, with the gospel here and on pace with the history of the early church. We're going to start in verse number 14. I'm going to skip several verses in here. And Bill, I'm going to skip a couple of slides, so you've got to hang with me tight. So, uh, 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 and, and just hit a couple of the highlights, and then we're going to go back and look more in depth at this message. Acts chapter 5, verse 14 tells us this. And it's important, throughout Acts, there are these summary passages, summary verses they kind of take the individual stories and put them in context of what's happening all around. So Acts chapter 5 and verse 14 says, And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. The context of our story today is that many people, men and women, they were flocking to find out what is this message of Jesus all about and, and how can I get in on the life change that I've seen in these people. And they were flocking to the church. Verse number 17. While everybody was flocking to the church, there's a but. But. Here's the damper. Here's, here's the music. Dun, 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 dun. Okay? But in the midst of all these people coming to Jesus, the high priest rose up, and all who were with him filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them into the public prison, saying, verse 28, We strictly charged you, not to teach in this name, the name of Jesus. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Verse number 40. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Verse 42. And every day... In the temple and from house to house. Now remember, don't talk about Jesus every day in the temple and from house to house. They did not cease. They did not stop. They did not desist teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Even in the face of opposition, when God's people will boldly go forth trusting in Him and taking forth His word, God brings 
both deliverance and power and conversion and life change and the church flourishes. And here's what history teaches us, and it's to our detriment. History teaches us that the church flourishes most when it is under persecution. Why does it take persecution for us to really live out our faith? Pray with me. Lord God, thank you for what we read about in the New Testament book of Acts about the church. And thank you, Lord, for all that you provided for the expansion of the church, the sharing of the gospel, the change in people's lives, and the difference that it made in all of culture, ultimately reaching to us in the year 2019 here in Durham, North Carolina at Ridgecrest Baptist Church. Lord, may we not just read about it. Help us to want to and to pray and to give of ourselves and be willing that we might be a part of the kingdom of God going forth even yet today as we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, and you may be seated. So here we have a circumstance where God was at work. God was at work in the lives of the individuals and the life of the church. There were signs that God was doing. There were wonders that he was carrying out. There were stories of deliverance from prison. There was the power of the Holy Spirit. There was the sharing of the gospel. There were many in the multitudes that were responding. God was at work. But also, the enemies of God were also at work. The Jewish leaders had opposed and killed Jesus, and now they were opposing the disciples. And it just goes to fulfill what Jesus himself had said in John chapter 15. In John 15 and verse 20, Jesus said, If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. In John chapter 16 and verse number 2, Jesus said, They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you, think about that, whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. It's a reminder even of the words of David back in the Old Testament. In Psalm chapter 27 and verse 12, David said this, Adversaries have arisen against me, and they breathe out violence. God's people have always faced opposition of some kind. But this passage of scripture that we're going to cover today in Acts chapter 5 illustrates that there is a variety of responses of people to the preaching and teaching and message of the gospel. I want us to look at four responses that took place in Acts chapter 5. And these same four responses are available today. And these same four responses we see happening in the lives of people as the gospel is proclaimed. Proclaimed in churches, proclaimed in individual lives, proclaimed in Bible studies, proclaimed all around. So let's look together at what these uh, responses are. First of all, excuse me. First of all, notice that there are some who attack the gospel. There are some that when the message of the gospel is proclaimed and taught, they're offended by that. Most people who are offended by the gospel are offended by the part of the gospel that says that each of us, even though created in the image of God, each of us are sinners. People don't like to be called sinners. The Bible says that we're all sinners. 
And so some are offended by the message of sin. Some are offended by the message of the Savior. Well, Jesus was a good man. Jesus was a good teacher. But Jesus as God, Jesus who died in my place and for my sins, there are people that literally get offended by that message, and their response is to attack the message of the gospel. That's what we see happening here in Acts chapter 5, and it's also what we see happening in our world today. Look with me starting at verse number 18. Verse number 18. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. This life meaning the gospel. Go tell people about this life, this life on mission, this life of Jesus. Tell them about it. Verse 21. And when they heard this, they entered. This is the apostles, the disciples who had been locked up in prison. They entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. So go to the prison and get the guys we locked up. Well, guess what? They're not there. Verse 22. When the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. All is good. But when we opened the doors, there wasn't anybody there. Verse 24. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. What does, what does this mean? Because the prison is secure and the guards are there, but we open the doors and the prisoners are gone. What's going to happen? What's going to happen to us because the prisoners have, been, have escaped? Verse 25. Someone, we don't know who it was, but someone came and told them, Look! The men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching." And you intend to bring this man, Jesus, you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. You're blaming us for killing Jesus. Well, guess what? You killed Jesus. There are some people that don't like the message of the gospel because they don't like being called a sinner. Some people don't like the fact that, that Jesus is identified as God, that Jesus is identified as the one who took our place when he died on the cross. There are some that don't like being, being told that they are responsible for the death of Christ because the Bible says that Christ died for our sins. All of us are equally responsible for putting Jesus on the cross. And some people don't like to hear that. The Jews, the Jewish leaders certainly in that day did not want to hear that. They, people don't like the gospel. They don't agree with the gospel. They reject the gospel. There are people in that day, in our day, who are offended by the message of the gospel. And when they respond, when they respond, it's not an attack on the disciples. It's an attack on the message. When people come against you and they come against me, and they do and they will, because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Understand this. 
It's not about us. It's not about us. It's about the message that has changed our life. And it's about the Savior that has saved our soul. Right now on Wednesday nights, I'm, I'm leading a study, and have been for even a couple of months now, working our way through the Lord's Prayer. And we're kind of, kind of winding down. We just have several weeks left. But right now, we're working on the phrase for a couple of weeks uh, on, on the phrase, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from those who would attack us for our belief, our sake, our calling on the name of Jesus, our affirmation of the gospel. So anybody who wants to come, Wednesday nights at 7, we'd love to have you. Verse number 33. When they, this is the Jewish leaders, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted, notice this, they wanted to kill them. They wanted to kill the disciples and kill the apostles. Verse number 40. And when they, the Jewish leaders, had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. I found something very interesting. Uh, when they brought them in, verse 40, they brought them in and it says they, this is the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders did not have the disciples beaten. The Jewish leaders beat the disciples. That's like calling the deacons in before the preacher and the preacher just wearing them out. That doesn't happen here. At least not yet. So. But they didn't just turn over this beating to the Roman officials or to the temple guards. They themselves participated. Remember when they, when they, when they arrested Jesus and brought him in? It was the, very lead, the Jewish leaders that were striking him in the face and pulling out his beard before they ever turned him over. They accosted Jesus. They are the ones who accosted the disciples here and told them, not to go out and do this. Let me, let me point out several things that are important about this particular moment in the story. One is emotions were running high. There's a lot of emotional language in this passage of Scripture. Emotions were high. Also notice the disciples had been arrested. You arrest somebody. That's, that's important. It's not just, it's not just a, a, a flippant thing that happens. They were arrested. Notice also Peter and John had already been arrested once and they had been, they had been commanded to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. That's chapter 4. Now we're in chapter 5. They haven't stopped. They were already been told once, stop teaching and preaching about Jesus. And they responded, we can't help it. We just got to tell people about Jesus. Well, here they are again, still at it. Also notice this, the disciples' teaching went against one of the sects or the groups within the Jewish leadership. There were at least two major parties. There were the Pharisees and there were the Sadducees. The Pharisees were the lawyers. The Pharisees knew the law inside and out. They were the main teachers. And the Sadducees were a different group. They were mainly the, 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 the scribes and, and different folks were part of the Sadducees. The, the big difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees is that the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the body. They did not believe in life after death. And here the disciples are, are publicly saying, Jesus was raised from the dead and when you believe in him, you too will have eternal life. So that went against the Sadducees. The Sadducees did not believe in resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. I didn't come up with it. I just, I just had to share it. <laughs> also notice this. The Jewish leaders were frustrated. I mean, they were just frustrated. First it was Jesus. Now it's his followers. And they just keep coming back and coming back again. It says that they were, they were full of jealousy because the people were flocking to the disciples. And they were angry at the disciples. 
Notice also there's confusion going on. These emotions, these, all things happen. The confusion going on. Uh, chapter uh, 5, verse 24. The captain of the guard and the chief priest were genuinely perplexed. What, what's going on here? What does this mean? This is more than just regular operating procedure. Some things are happening that are perplexing or confusing. Chapter 5, verse 26. We see also that the captain and the officers were afraid of being stoned by the people. They thought the people were going to rise up against them. Some people choose to attack the gospel. It's still happening today. A group, a ministry called Open Doors, report on persecution worldwide of Christians, and they report regularly on specific incidences and numbers of incidences of persecution across the globe on Christians. And they report repeatedly that in this day and time in which we're living, there's more physical Christian persecution around the world right now than ever before in the history of the church. Now, part of that's because there's more people, but also because it's more prevalent in many countries to physically persecute Christians. The, the Jewish leaders that physically themselves beat the disciples, the same thing is happening in many parts of our world. When you're identified as a pastor or a missionary or a Christian, when you convert into Christianity, oftentimes it results in some type of physical persecution or beating. In our country, in the United States, most persecution that we're seeing most of what's reported is not physical, but it is verbal. There's a lot of verbal and cultural persecution taking place. For example, one of my favorite examples of this, and I say favorite in quotes here, is, is, is the name Bart Ehrman. I, I quote him and quote about him on a regular basis. Theologian Michael Byrd says about Bart Ehrman this. Ehrman is something of a celebrity skeptic in the United States. A professor of religion at the University of North Carolina. Go Tar Heels. Not, not in this case. Not in this case. He was formerly a fundamentalist Christian who deconverted, deconverted to agnosticism, which means you don't know what you believe. And he now writes books opposing traditional Christianity. He has several New York Times bestsellers. He is a regular on the talk show circuit, a scholar of ancient texts, and a fierce debater. Ehrman is a champion of skeptics. They look to him. Here's one. He used to believe, now he doesn't. He's our champion because he's leading the fight against Christianity as a university professor, as an author, as a debater. This guy's our guy. And uh, theologian Michael Burke goes on to say this, a pity that he's always wrong. <laughs> if living the gospel brought attacks from, from non-believers in the day in which the New Testament church was founded. It certainly is true in our day today. It certainly has been true across history. When you and I decide to follow Christ, don't be surprised that there will be and are those who oppose the message. And whether it's verbal or emotional, they'll attack the message. Not us. We just happen to get caught in the crossfires, but they attack the message. So first of all, some attack. Secondly, I want you to notice that some affirm the gospel. There are those that even though it's attacked, they affirm the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 29 there in chapter 5 of Acts. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. We have to do what God says regardless of what you say. If we're, if we're going to line up our authority, we say, well, here you are, and you may be in authority over us, but we recognize that God is in authority higher than you. So we're not, going to, we're, 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 we're not going to listen to you because we are going to listen to God. Ideally, as we listen to God, our earthly authorities can fall right into place with that. But in this case, in many cases, 
They can't. Verse 30, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, raised him up from the dead. Jesus, whom you killed, you put him to death by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give him repentance, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. They responded back with a great affirmation. You may be attacking the gospel, but we're going to affirm the gospel. And the disciples here, you have to understand, just like us, when the attacks come and the opposition comes, you and I, like the disciples, find ourselves at a crossroads. We can affirm the gospel. We believe this and face whatever consequences come. Or we can just shut our mouths and go along to get along. And in our peace and quiet, we can avoid the human opposition while we may be disobeying what God would have to say. We have to decide which way we're going to go. Let me, let me share with you about some affirmation of the gospel. The, the disciples chose to affirm the gospel. They affirmed it. The same message that the, 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 that the lead, Jewish leaders quoted them. They said, you're saying all these things. And they're saying, yes, that is what we're saying. The disciples did not change their priorities. Uh, they wanted to tell every possible person. That's why they were in the temple. That's why they put their lives on the line. The, the disciples did not change their conviction. They said, we must obey God rather than men. Every time I, I hear quotes like this and read things like this in the Bible, I think back to one of my unnamed heroes. I don't remember his name, but I remember years ago in seminary when I thought I knew it all. I remember meeting a pastor from Romania who was there under communism and who had been persecuted and arrested and threatened uh, for preaching the gospel, and yet he continued. His family was attacked. His home was taken. Many things happened to him. And there he was in the 1980s at the seminary, Southeastern Seminary. And I sat in class as a young preacher boy. And I was humbled to, 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 to no end by the words of this man who said, I never forget it. He said, when it comes to the gospel, preacher boys, <laughs> he said, stand for Christ. Pay the price. No compromise. That means... Something coming from me, I hope. But coming from someone who went through what he went through. Oh, the weight of that. I've shared this before and I'll share it many times in the future. The disciples did not change their conviction. They also, they did not change their message. They didn't water it down. They didn't alter it. They didn't try to make it politically correct. They didn't try to, to, to make it acceptable to others. Oh, you don't like this part? Well, we'll change it and take it out. You don't like this part? Oh, we'll change it and take it out. Now, can't we all just get along and we'll just make the message what, what fits everybody? The only problem is when you do that, you wind up with no message at all. Their message was Jesus was killed on the cross. Their message was God raised him from the dead. The message was Jesus is exalted to heaven and he's sitting at the right hand of God and he is our leader and our savior and Jesus brings repentance. What do you need repentant of? Sin, because we're sinners. And he brings forgiveness when we call upon his name. The beauty of, of, of being honest about being a sinner and turning from our sin is the promise of God to save us out of those sins and into His kingdom. Chapter 4 and verse 33, the, the, it, it said about the disciples, with great power the apostles were giving their testimony, their personal testimony, to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Their testimony was their testimony. It's what had happened in their life. I can tell you what happened in their life. I can tell you what happened in your life. You can tell what happened in my life. We can read a book about Lottie Moon. We can tell what happened in Lottie Moon's life. All those things are fine. But listen, nobody 
Nobody can change what happened in my life. And I know what happened in my life. I know where I was. I know how he found me. I know how he saved me. I know how he changed me. I know how he brought me up. I know the, the, the sovereignty of God and the humor of God that he called me of all people in the ministry and put me right back in the middle of people that knew me back in the day, what I was and where I came from and what, what happened in my life. That's the awesomeness. That's my testimony. And so we all have that kind of a testimony. The disciples affirmed the gospel, but also notice that God gave us the Holy Spirit to affirm the gospel. The Holy Spirit, chapter 1 and verse number 8 of Acts, the, 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 the contents verse, the, the key verse of Acts, Jesus said that you will receive power, dynamite, dunamis power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. How is it that we are witnesses? By the power of the Holy Spirit of God that comes upon us. The Holy Spirit affirms the gospel. You better believe that. I want to tell you, we live in a time where there is cultural transition taking place in many areas of life. I, I say this often. I will keep saying it. I want to sound like a broken record. I want to say it till you get tired of me saying it. I want to say it until we all believe it because it's not just me saying it. We're living in one of those momentous transitional times in history where 10 years from now is not going to look like it was 10 years ago. We're right in the middle of a tidal wave. And it impacts because of technology. It's being impacted by politics. It's being impacted by morals. It's being impacted by religion. It's being impacted by different kinds of identity that people have never uh, clung to before. It's being impacted by family. It's being impacted by many different factors in our culture. And it's not just impacting the church. It's impacting everything and everyone. And the culture is calling on the church to deny the gospel. I don't know if you're seeing this or not. You look at the, at the music that's popular right now. You look at the TV shows that's popular right now. You look at the movies that are out right now. You look at the messaging about Christianity and the church is out in our culture. Not coming from the church, but coming to the church from the culture. And the culture is calling us to deny the gospel. Just like the Jewish leaders told the disciples, stop talking about Jesus. Stop calling us sinners. Stop saying that he died in our place and for our sins. Your message is offending us. That's what the Jewish leaders said to the disciples and that's exactly what our culture is saying to us today your message of sin your message of the gospel your message of Jesus is offensive so change it or shut up or go home that's what's being said to the church and culture culture is calling us to deny the gospel in that way how do we know that well there's there's some evidences of this there's the rise of a group called the nuns i don't know if you heard about the nuns not the n-u-n-s but the n-o-n-e-s the nuns these are people that respond now more than ever before what is your religion none i ain't got none that population of people is exploding numerically the loss of cultural impact on morals and ethics by the church the church is having less and less of an impact on our culture the decline of the church numerically, the decline of the church financially, the decline of the church in so many ways. Churches, 1,000 churches are closing their doors every month somewhere in the United States of America. Do you know that? And that's not my numbers. That's the Southern Baptist Convention has compiled those numbers. There are unbiblical lifestyles that have been adopted, celebrated, and endorsed by our culture. And our culture is saying to the church, you better put up with this. You better embrace this. And there are some denominations 
There are some denominations that are affirming the gospel in the face of what the culture is saying to us. There are some denominations that are saying, whatever you say to us is not going to change our message. I'm thankful to say that as Southern Baptists, our denomination is in that category. We're not changing our stance. We will not deny the gospel. I'll say amen moment right there. I'm going to give you a chance to make sure you're on the record. We've got every name down there. Amen. We're not changing the gospel. Just this week, one of our seminary presidents, Al Moeller, made this statement. He said, and I quote, We are facing a new era in the world and in the United States and cultural challenges that will test our convictions. We must make clear that we stand without reservation for biblical Christianity and Baptist conviction, and we must stand together. May I echo that comment? We must stand on the Scripture. Not every denomination is taking this stand. I'm going to name some denominations. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm not trying to give you inside information. I'm telling you what's out there publicly. When the culture is saying to us, you need to embrace our lifestyle. You need to embrace our philosophy. You need to, to get rid of this sin stuff. Denominations like the Episcopals and the Presbyterians and the Methodists, those three mainline denominations are each facing battles that are splitting their denominations. If you're reading news stories about what's happening, that when these cultural things are coming into the church, some of the church is saying, we have to embrace these new ways. We have to turn away from offending people. And those denominations are splitting wide open. And when we're, def- when we're having to debate whether or not the Bible is true and Jesus is the only way and this lifestyle is biblical or not, when we're debating those basic tenets of the Christian faith, we are in trouble. We have to hold on to the gospel. Well, let me tell you some other folks that have affirmed the gospel. <laughs> I just had to smile before I say this. Rapper Kanye West has, has, has affirmed the gospel. <laughs> I laugh. I don't know much about I know who he is. I know where he has stood. But rapper Kanye West has affirmed the gospel. And let me tell you, he has been viciously opposed by the culture for taking a stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Several have asked me, Pastor Mark, is it sincere? I don't know him personally, so I can say I don't know. But I can tell you that everything that's come out about Kanye West is right on track with what a person who's turned from sin and embraced the gospel in a bold way would be saying and would be doing. I'm quoting Kanye West here. He says, I am no longer an entertainer. I am not here for anyone's entertainment. My only mission and calling is to spread the gospel. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Quote him. <laughs> he also says this. It's my job to let people know what Jesus has done for me. He must, he must have gotten an advanced copy of my message for this day because he said exactly what I just said that the disciples said. We just can't help it. we got to tell people what Jesus has done for us. And here's a man who's come out of the most sinful, cultural, culturally relevant in the eyes of culture, lifestyle, unbiblical, and he is saying that I have a job to let people know what Jesus has done for me. I have, amen. That's all. Amen. Wow. He's just released a CD or an album. I don't know what they're calling them these days, but the title of the album is Jesus is King. Jesus is King. Now, I'm, I'm, saying, this, I'm saying this with hesitation because I've not had the opportunity to check it out. You go check it out. If you're on the Internet, go to YouTube, uh, Google, or Yahoo, however you choose to do it. 
Kanye West conversion, Jesus is King album. But here's what's being said by people I trust about his album. And that is that it is being celebrated for its strong, orthodox Christian views. In other words, these lyrics, unlike his past lyrics, these lyrics affirm orthodox or traditional biblical Christian values. Wow. Another person who's recently come out affirming the gospel is former NBA basketball player Lamar Odom. He has affirmed the gospel, and he did so initially on an Instagram post. And here's what, here's what the article says about him. It's, Odom was married to Khloe Kardashian. Well, 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 right there. But he, is, he credits Jesus for saving his life. His pastor, Dr. Vernon, spoke about Odom's conversion saying this, quote, Like anyone else, I was just very glad and overwhelmed with all he's been through that he realized there's a place in your heart that only God can fill. No championship ring, no woman, no amount of money. Only Christ can fill that place that he designed. And he added that he thinks Odom has, quote, Come to that place in his life where he knows what's lasting and eternal. Amen. Can I get a witness to that this morning? I'll tell you, I love that. I got one more. I got one more to share with you. Joe, you'll love this one. Ridgecrest Baptist Church student Parker Wyckoff has affirmed the gospel. Now, uh, this, is, this is Parker right here, the, the young man. Second grade is the, the son of John and Kara. And uh, this past week, Kara put on Facebook. I saw the Facebook post. I said, Kara, you got to let me share this on, on Sunday. She said, please do. Here's what she said, quote on Facebook. I had Parker's school conference today. One of the things his teacher shared is that when she asked the students, quote, what makes you, you? What makes you the person you are? So, so she's asking the students beginning of school, you know, who are you? Where are you from? What are you all about? What makes you who you are? And she said this, Parker raised his hand and he said, I'm a Christian. Isn't that awesome? I'm a Christian. And then she says, he tells his teacher about our church and other kids. And the other kids said, me too. And then Kara wrote these words, my heart melted. He isn't ashamed. I want to ask you a question this morning. I'm going to get real personal. And I'm going to join you. I don't want to let some rapper outdo me sharing the gospel. I'm proud of him, but I don't want to let him outdo me sharing the gospel. I am proud, Joe, of Parker Wyckoff. But I don't want no second grader to outdo me in sharing the gospel. He's sitting in class, and his teacher just says, what makes you you? He says, well, I'm a Christian. What circumstances will you be in in the next coming days, weeks, whatever, where somebody's going to ask you a question, and without forcing it down their throat, without twisting their arms, without preaching a sermon, you can just simply respond and say, well, I'm a Christian, and here's what that means in my life. Well, not last, i got two more to go. I better jump on this real, real quick. Some attack, some affirm, but notice thirdly, some avoid the gospel. Let's just leave it alone. I heard it, I, I, I sat in church, I heard that message. Let's just leave this thing called the gospel. Let's leave it alone. Verse 33, when they heard this, 
They were enraged and wanted to kill them because of their testimony. They wanted to kill the disciples. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to the leaders, Men of Israel, take care what you're about to do to these men. Before these days, Thaddeus, you remember, y'all remember Thaddeus, right? Yeah, I don't either. Thaddeus rose up claiming to be somebody. Hey, y'all follow me. We're going to go and do this. I'm going to be your leader. You remember Thaddeus? He rose up claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. He claimed to be somebody, but in the end, he was nothing. He was a nobody. And after him, verse 37, after him, Judas the Galilean. Y'all remember Judas the Galilean, right? You read? No, I hadn't either. He rose up in the days of the census and he drew away some of the people after him too. He too perished and all who followed him were scattered. Then, he says, so in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men. Let them alone. For if this plan is the undertaking of man, it will fail. Just like the other guys. But if it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them, we talked about this a minute ago, and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. They brought them in, they beat them up, they said, stop talking about Jesus, now get out of here. Some people just simply ignore the gospel. If we don't like it, we just let it go and it'll die away. Now the problem for the Jewish leaders and for Gamaliel and everybody else is, <laughs> it didn't go away. It hasn't gone away. And whatever culture throws at the gospel today, no matter how many denominations may fall by the wayside, no matter how many people may turn away from Christian views and adopt worldly views, no matter how many churches will crumble and fall and close their doors, I will tell you the gospel is not going anywhere in the future. Because God will see His people through. So the call to us is to stand firm. To not just wait and see. Because see, if, you tell, if you're going to wait and see about the gospel, here's what you're saying. You're saying, no, not now, maybe later. Maybe later. Maybe later. And eventually, you die. Like Judas the Galilean or Thaddeus, who thought he was somebody, who turned out he was nobody. And you'll die in your sins and you'll stand before God and pay the price for your sins. When Jesus paid the price for your sins, if only you would believe. One last response to the gospel. There's some who announce the gospel. There's some who announce the gospel. There's some that say, let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. And they do so in three different categories. They do so on one hand while facing opposition. Opposition will come. Don't think that if you share or live out the gospel and there's opposition by a family member, a friend, a boss, a, a loved one, a, a, a culture, don't think that you're doing something wrong. It means you're doing something right. We should not be offensive in how we live our lives, but understand that what, how we live our lives and what we believe is an offense to those who don't believe it. And when they come against us, let's not be, let's not be, not be, not be taken back. So verse 40, when they called the apostles, they beat them, charged them, and turned them loose. Even in opposition, they, they announced the gospel. They also did it with joy. Verse 41, rejoicing they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Thank you, Jesus. 
that you counted me worthy to be beaten up for you. Wow. And we turn and run if somebody just says a little something about us because we're followers of Christ. And they did it with joy. Then they did it with persistence. I love this part. Now for the second time, the Jewish leaders have said, y'all get out of here, but shut your mouths and stop talking about Jesus. And now this says, every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease, they did not stop teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Let me ask you this morning, very personally, how have you responded to the message of Jesus? How have you personally responded to the message of Jesus? Have you been opposed to it? And you have therefore attacked the message. It might be openly or it might just be quietly. You say, I reject it. I'm offended by it. I can't believe anybody would call me a sinner when I'm a good person and I do good things. I can't believe anybody would say, I need to repent and turn from my sins and embrace this man who died a criminal's death on a cross. You, maybe you're offended by that. Maybe you, in, at least by your attitude, have been attacking of the gospel. Have you affirmed the gospel? Can you say like, Second grader Parker Wyckoff, I'm a Christian. What's made you you? What made me me is Jesus. <laughs> Have you been able to say that? Have you simply ignored the gospel and avoided it? And said, well, maybe if I just ignore it, it'll go away. Well, again, I'll say it's not going anywhere. It's going to be here. And it's available to you. Or have you taken the tack? You said, you know what? I not only affirm it, I'm going to announce it. I'm going to tell it to everybody I possibly can. Just this past week, I try to witness every chance I get. I don't always, I, there's oftentimes I look back and I say, I missed this one. I missed that opportunity. Oh, I hate it. But this week I was talking to a mechanic and I gave the mechanic one of our green invite cards and I just said, hey, if you're not in church, and we'd love to have you come to Ridgecrest Baptist Church. And that's often a good, a good conversation starter. And, and out of that was, was, the, was the response. I said, well, yeah, I've been kind of struggling with church. Hadn't been in a while. And it's kind of in and out somewhat. And I'm just kind of searching. I said, well, I wish you well in your search. Just know we're here. If I can help you, my number's on the card. Just give me, just give me a call. Very light, very quick, very, very non-threatening, non-pushing. There are times to open up and share every part of the gospel. There are times just to try to make a quick impact. God will give us those times, but do we, are we faithful to announce the gospel? I want to ask you this morning, what is your response to the gospel today? Regardless of what's happened in the past, what is your response to the gospel today? What are you willing to do today? Does it involve any kind of change in your attitude? Does it involve a change in your faith? Does it involve a change in your determination and how you live your life and what you're willing to say or what you're willing to face, what you're willing to do? I want to ask you right now, would you just bow your head and close your eyes? In just a second, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. And As we sing, we're just going to give you the opportunity to, to do business with God. And if even while we're singing, you want somebody just to maybe talk with you or share with you, then Rodney Hicks is going to be here at the front, and he's going to be available. After the service is over, he and Al and some others will be available as well. But I wonder today, what is, what is your answer? Just between you and God, I'm not going to ask you to tell me, but between you and God, what is your response to the gospel? Are you, what are you going to say to the Lord? My prayer is that you'll affirm it and you'll be committed to announcing it. If that's your desire right now, would you just tell that to the Lord? Just between you and Him. 
Lord, I affirm, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. I believe that He died for me. I believe that His blood was shed because of my sins, and I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. And Lord, I believe, and I invite you into my life. Or if you're a believer, say, Lord, I do believe. I do believe. I want to reaffirm my faith in you. If you're here today, and you may say, Lord, I want you to be able to count on me to announce the gospel to a crowd of people, to a small group of people, to one person. If you'll open the door, I want to be ready to speak for you. Let's all stand together. Lord, we thank you for today and for the blessings you've given us. We thank you for the, I thank you for the, the, the listening ears of the people. They've been so kind to give me attention. And I just want to pray that I've spoken the truth of your word and that, Lord, you've used that somehow to, to speak to our hearts. Thank you for all that happened in the past in the book of Acts. But thank you for all that you're doing even today. And in this time of cultural transition, help us to stand firmly on the unchanging word of God and the unchanging gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't ask for persecution to come, but Lord, when opposition does rear its head, make us, Lord, bold and willing to stand up for our faith and to make a difference. Lord, we, we do this because, we do this because of Jesus. We do this because Jesus paid it all. And right now we pray in his name. Amen.